Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I'm so glad that you are joining us this morning. And uh, as Jesse was talking in the host time, I was just thinking about the fact that we serve a God who really does change lives. And God doesn't just change lives through salvations or just through baptisms. I think those are the things that we celebrate up here on stage. But something I think we often don't recognize is what God is doing in your all's lives after being saved or after being baptized. I wish we could just like have everybody up front and just give a round of applause for some of the things going on in people's lives. Uh, there's this verse that Paul writes in uh, Philippians, and he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. And I think that's why a lot of us are here this morning is because that work of becoming more like Jesus is not finished yet. But I'm just super encouraged about what God is doing through the ministry in Bridgewater and in your all's lives. This morning we are continuing on in our Starting Point series just one more week after this. And I want to start things off by asking, how many of you have ever served on jury duty? A few of you? All right. So if you've served on jury duty, you know what it's like. Even if you haven't served on jury duty, I want you to just work with me here, all right? Imagine that you are on jury duty right now. You are sitting on a jury, and I am going to show you a clip from a real-life trial. So go ahead and check it out. He's on trial for the third time for the murder of two teens when he was just 16 years old. Many believe he was wrongfully convicted. If the defendant will please stand. The last 25 years of his life, much of it in prison, has all led up to this moment. In the District Court of El Paso County, Texas, 409th Judicial District, the state of Texas versus Daniel Villegas, number 940D09328. Verdict form B, we, the jury, find the defendant, Daniel Villegas, not guilty of... For the first time since he was 16 years old, 25 years ago, Daniel Villegas is a free man. Mr. All right. So... Imagine that you're on the jury, and you're on the jury on this case here for Dan Daniel Villegas, and you are given proof that he is an innocent man. How many of you could look at that proof and think to yourself, well, for years we thought that this man was guilty. I don't think I want to change my mind on this. Or how could you look at the proof of somebody's innocence and think, ah, I don't think it really makes a big deal whether this man goes home to be with his family or he spends the rest of his life in prison. That would be absurd, right? To see proof and not respond to the proof. And this is a big deal when it's a matter of life and death, or in this case, a matter of living as a free man or spending the rest of your life in prison. But I think what really troubles me is a lot of people who are confronted with the proof of Christianity are just okay with ignoring that proof when that's not just a matter of life or death, 
But that's a matter of eternity, of spending eternity in heaven or spending eternity in hell. And so many people could hear the proof of Christianity and think, well, I've just been believing things a certain way for most of my life. Yeah, maybe I don't want to change my mind. Or is it really a big deal if I believe in Christianity or not? And so the question that I want us all to wrestle with this morning is what is my response to the proof of Christianity? Now, I'm sure there's a lot of you here in this room, and you believe in what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. You believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And so maybe for you, it's not just a matter of believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, but maybe it's a matter of living out the Christian life, living like it is a big deal what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And so we're going to talk more about that towards the end of the message And we're going to get into a real story from Acts chapter 17 about the life of the Apostle Paul. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 17. We'll also have it up here on the screen. And we'll be picking up in verse 16. So the Apostle Paul is somebody who lived during the time that Jesus was here on earth. And for most of his life, or at least the first part of his life, He was not a Christian. In fact, he was very anti-Christian. He hated Christians. He put them in jail. He even killed them because of their faith in Jesus. But then all of that changed when he had like a turnaround moment in his life, and he became one of the most influential Christians in all of history. And he traveled around the world telling people about Jesus. And so the story that we're looking at this morning is about the Apostle Paul telling people about Jesus in Athens, Greece. So, chapter 17, verse 16. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, Well, Paul was waiting for them, his missionary buddies, in Athens. He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come, tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. So Paul is in Athens, Greece, He's talking to people about Jesus, and out of everything that Paul could have said about Jesus, he chose to tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think Paul is doing that because the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the Christian faith. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If you missed it, you could go back and listen to it. But basically, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, that would make Jesus a liar. It would make Christianity a false religion. And there would be no hope for going to heaven. So we could just all pack up and go home if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But if Jesus is really risen from the dead, then Christianity is true. And so this is Paul's primary message in telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. Now a lot of people today, even any credible historian, would say that Jesus is a real person who walked the face of this earth. But the real debate is whether or not Jesus was just a good teacher 
or if Jesus is really the Son of God. But what I'm going to show you is three strong options for what you can believe about Jesus. But one of those options is not that Jesus was just a good teacher. I don't think Jesus could have been just a good teacher. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So Jesus could have said that he was going to raise from the dead, and maybe he didn't, and all of his ministry was just some big ploy. If that's the case, then he has led millions of people astray and promised them, promising them eternal life, and he would be anything but a good teacher. Or you could say, all right, maybe Jesus wasn't trying to lead people astray. Maybe he just had a few screws loose, and he firmly believed that he was the Son of God, that he was going to rise from the dead, but he was just, he kind of lost it. And if that's the case, then Jesus is definitely not a good teacher. He's kind of a messed up teacher. And, but I don't think that's a good explanation of Jesus based on what we have written about him. Because his teachings are good and moral and, co- and coherent and logical. Now, the other option is that Jesus really is who he says he is that he really is Lord, that he really did rise from the dead when he said that he would. And out of all three of those options, I think it's most believable that Jesus really is the Son of God. And Paul wasn't necessarily using logic like this with the people in Athens, but this just goes back to the point that the resurrection of Jesus is so important. And so Paul was telling them about the resurrection And it caught their interest. And there's all these philosophers who are like, what? These are some crazy ideas. Tell us more about this. And so that's what Paul does. And we're going to keep on reading in verse 21. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. So, as troubled as Paul is by seeing all these shrines and altars, there's this one that catches his attention. And it's this altar to the unknown God. You see, these people who lived in Athens were indeed very religious people. They believed in a whole bunch of different gods, and they wanted to worship these gods. And just in case they missed one, they had this shrine to the unknown God. Just have all their bases covered, just in case. And Paul could have began a conversation with them and been like, Guys are all stupid for believing in a bunch of gods. Let me give you proof for why there's only one God. You all know what would happen if you started the conversation like that. You have a whole crowd of angry people who wouldn't want to listen to a single thing that he would say. And so instead of starting the conversation in a really divisive way, Paul is starting out on common ground. He's saying, all right, guys, I see that you're religious. I'll give that to you. And you have this shrine to an unknown God. You don't know who this God is, but I know who this God is. So let me tell you all about him. And so that's how Paul gets into a conversation with these people about the one true God of the Bible. 
And Paul begins things by talking about God's work of creation. In verse 24, it says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. For his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. And so Paul starts things off by talking about the fact that God created the universe and everything in it. And everything that we can see in creation, the sky and the land, points to the existence of God. And Paul goes into more detail in talking about this idea in his letter to the church in Rome, where he says, and since... Or next slide. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You can't look around in this universe and not see evidence for God. The sky, the land, living creatures, even humankind is all proof that God exists. And so nobody has an excuse for not knowing about the existence of God. If somebody is an atheist and they don't believe in God, it's not because they don't have proof. It's because they see the proof in creation, but they choose not to believe it. And this doesn't mean that we don't need missionaries to go tell people about Jesus because just looking at the earth and sky isn't enough for people to know what Jesus has done for them on the cross. But looking at everything in creation is enough to know that there is a divine creator who existed in eternity past. And so Paul starts out in talking about this because there is a bunch of people among the philosophers who believe that creation And everything that they see is God. They believe that the universe and God are one and the same. And so Paul says, wait, hang on, hang on a minute. God is not the same as the universe. God is the creator of the universe, and all of creation points to him. And then the other thing that he talks about in that is since God created everything, we don't have to give God gifts to God as if God needs anything from us. God doesn't need a house to live in or anything like that because he is so far above and so much greater than anything that we could offer him in this world. And then the other belief that a lot of these philosophers had is that there's these gods who kind of live way out there. They do their own little thing And they don't have any say on how we live our lives. They can't judge us from sin. They can't intervene in our lives. And so if we just ignore these gods and live our lives, then we can live a good life. And what Paul presents about the one true God 
is that God is not just super distant or God doesn't just turn his face to what goes on here on this earth. But God cares about us and God created humanity to turn to him and to have a relationship with him. And there is nothing that humankind can do that is outside of God's power and outside of God's control. He is very much involved in this world. And we even see this evidence through these carnations up here on stage, showing that God worked in the hearts of two people in the last week to draw them into a relationship with him. And so this is the point that Paul is making. And then he also concludes this section with saying, God is not some kind of statue that's made out of stone or gold or anything like that. Because if God was really a statue and that could be created by mankind, then that would make mankind more godlike than God himself. That would put us in the place of the creators and God in the place of the created. And that is so backwards because everything that is made is because of God. He is the divine creator. And so Paul gives them all of this kind of evidence for the existence of the one true God. And then he wraps things up by addressing this idea that the gods that they believed in don't really care about how they should live their lives. And so they thought, eh, it's okay to live in sin. But Paul is saying, no, there's one true God who does care about the way that we live. And that's what he talks about in verse 30. It says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent, to turn away from their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has proved to everyone this, uh, who this is by raising him from the dead. So Paul is making the point, it does matter how we live our lives. We need to turn away from our sin and turn to our relationship with God because God is going to judge sin. And God has appointed Jesus to be the one to judge sin. And he shows that Jesus is that one who will judge sin by raising Jesus from the dead. So again, everything points back to the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing that makes Jesus different from any other religious leader isn't something that he taught. It's something that he did. He died and came back to life. And this is the whole foundation for the Christian faith. And as Paul is sharing about the resurrection of Jesus, people responded to what he was saying in some very different ways. In verse 32, it says, When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, We want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus and a member of the council and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So they, everybody in that crowd that Paul was talking to, they heard the proof for Christianity. They heard the proof of God's existence. Paul would have shared with them proof for the resurrection of Jesus. And they all had a different response. Some of them, they just laughed it off. They were haters. They're like, Pfft. I'll reject that. I don't want anything to do with that message. There's other people who were fans. They weren't followers of Jesus, but they're like, we're interested. Let's hear some more in this conversation. And then there's other people 
who believed in what Jesus had done for them, who Jesus was, and became followers of Jesus. And I was thinking about these three responses, and I kind of mapped it out like this. This isn't inspired or anything like that, but this is just how I make sense of what we read about in this story. And I think that we could place ourselves in one of those three categories. Now, based on the fact that you all are in church this morning, there's probably not a lot of you who are straight up resistant to God, the idea of God, or want nothing to do with God. But there's a good chance that some of you this morning are at this point in your walk with Jesus, that you're just a fan. Maybe you want to know more about God and you enjoy coming to church. Maybe you're interested in what the Bible says. It could even be that you're connected in a small group, but you just haven't taken that step to believe in Jesus, to be forgiven of your sins. The truth is, I think a lot of us here in this room, at one point in our lives, we're right here. And I think the big question is, is it wrong to be a fan of Jesus? Is it wrong to be a fan of Jesus? My opinion is not necessarily. Because if you are a fan of Jesus, that means that God is working in your heart and drawing you closer to the point of believing in him. But the thing is, God doesn't want you to stay a fan. Because it's not by being interested in Jesus. It's not by being curious about Jesus or going to church or going to small group that you can earn a way to heaven. That's not what it takes to get to heaven. What it takes to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with him for all of eternity. And so that's what God calls all of us to do, is to come into that relationship with him, to believe on what Jesus has done. And so that's what the number one stands for, that turning point in your life of placing your faith in Jesus. But notice that the Christian life doesn't stop there. That is just the starting line for the Christian life. And then all of these numbers here represent next steps in our faith. And following that calling of becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. And it's like that verse that I read about uh, in the beginning this morning, that God, God's desire is to do a work in our lives to help us become more like Jesus until the day that we are with him in heaven someday. And so it's never about doing good works to get saved. It's not even a combination of belief and good works that make you right with God. But taking next steps in your faith with Jesus is evidence that you really did believe in him. That you're not just talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. Because if somebody says that they believe, but then they just kind of stay in the same spot and don't take any next steps in their relationship with Jesus, what that might mean, just might mean that they're not really following Jesus and moving in this direction, might mean that they're just a fan of Jesus. And they say that they're all in for Jesus. They say that Christianity and what God has done for them makes a big difference in their life. But if it doesn't reflect that in your actions, then maybe that's not what you truly believe. And this is what James, the brother of Jesus, talks about when he says, you, have, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, 
Good for you. There's a little bit of sarcasm going on here. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He's saying it's not just about what you believe. Demons believe that there is one God. Let's be real. I think demons have better theology than everybody here in this room. The demons know us up, but it doesn't change the way that they live. And so it's not by doing good works that you become a follower of Jesus. It's not a combination of belief and good works, but good works show what you really truly believe. Like if I tell you that I'm a vegan. I think everybody should be a vegan. That is the most healthy way to live. But then you catch me eating meat every other meal. You say, all right, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. Like you don't really believe that people should be vegans because you're not even living like a vegan. And I think the same thing is true with the Christian life. We could say, Jesus is awesome. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus died on the cross so I could follow him. That's what I'm all about. But then if you just live like the rest of the world and you have sin in your life that you don't want to take care of and you're just okay with it and you don't want to change, it might mean that you're just talking the talk but not walking the walk and maybe you're more of a fan of Jesus than a follower. And so this brings us to the question that we started with this morning And that is, what is my response to the proof of Christianity? Do you see the proof of what Jesus has done and who God is? And can you say, well, I've just gone my whole life believing things a certain way and I just don't think I want to change my mind. Or could you say, well, I don't think it's really a big deal whether or not I believe that Christianity is true. Or for some of you, you believe in Jesus. You believe in what he did for you on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. So then the bigger question is, does that really change your life? Does that change the way that you live? Are you taking steps towards becoming more like Jesus or are you kind of stalled out on your relationship with him in that rut of just staying in the same place? And my challenge for you this morning is wherever you are to just take a step closer to God and deeper in your relationship with him. And we have these little cards on the seat as a verse on there, Philippians 4, 9, that says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And then on the back side of that, it says, my next step. And could we just go back to that uh, spectrum, the slide before this one? Here we go. Where, what does the next step look like for you? Uh, maybe you're here and this is your next step. Maybe you're here and your next step is to get here. And my challenge for you is just to write that out on that card. And maybe you need to take some time uh, just asking God what that next step is for you. And I want to encourage you as we sing this next song that you wouldn't just sing words on a screen. But take some time to talk to God and ask God, what is the next step in your walk with him? And whatever answer God gives you, I encourage you to write that down in that card and take that step in your relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such an awesome God. 
I thank you that you are the creator of the universe and that you didn't just create us to do our own things separate from you, but you created us to know you and to have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that everybody here in this room would know you and have a relationship with you. I pray that everybody here in this room would believe in Jesus and be forgiven of their sins. you would just give us um, the strength and endurance in the Christian life. It is so tough. And sometimes we do get into that rut where we want to draw closer to you and we don't know how to do that. We want to feel closer. God, please make that known to us and help us to take this time during this song to know what that is. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.